0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Diane Mathia, who specializes in tunneling. And apart from working for Inland Rail as the design manager, um, she's also the chair for for the Australian Tunnel Society. Diana was um, introduced to us by Michael Moore, who's obviously previously been on the podcast, um, as they both studied together at the Campbell School of Mines. Um, and Diana studied geology, geotechnical, and, uh, and a tunneling degree. So um, thought it'd be good to have Diana on the podcast to discuss all things tunneling um, with an emphasis on mining and I suppose how they combine and interact. So that's, uh, welcome Diana to the podcast. Hey, Dean, Diana?
1: Good, thanks, um, Rob. How are you? Yeah,
0: oh, I'm good, thank you. I'm good for a. Good. We're recording this on a Friday, so um, good, good uh, end to the week. So um, appreciate if you can give us a um, a summary of your of your career. Obviously, going back from when you were studying with Michael um, back in those days, um, and just take us through your journey of your career, how how it's progressed to where you got to to, uh, to today.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, so I grew up in Cornwall, um, so surrounded by um, mining engine houses along the coast and um, quite close to the what were um, back then uh, when I grew up in um, working Tim mines of Wheel Jane and South Crofty. And um, I knew a few sort of uh, family friends that worked at the mines and, and had quite an interest growing up because they were um, so close by Um, on how sort of mining worked and and geology. So that that sparked my interest. Um, And then I I think I knew um, as I left school that I wanted to study earth sciences and and mining engineering. And um, Campbell School of Mines offered that option and had a world, or still has, um, has a world-renowned reputation uh, of excellence for engineering, particularly in mining engineering and, and earth sciences and I really was inspired by that and wanted to be part of that School of Excellence. And um, a lot of my peers shared that and and even continue now, like there's a lot of Cambon School of Mines graduates um, around the world, particularly in Australia, and and share that passion, I think, for the successful engineering that's grown from that excellent foundation at Cambon. So I graduated, um, as you said, in the introduction with a broad sort of engineering foundation, which covered geology, mining, engineering, um, geotech, rock mechanics, and tunnelling. Um, and I graduated in 98. So I think um, at that time, there was a bit of a downturn in mining, not just in the UK, um, but worldwide. And a lot of my uh, uni peers ended up going to offshore oil and gas, um, civil engineering, IT, was quite popular then, and and finance and other industries. Um, But I was very fortunate to get a position down um, on the southeast coast at Folkestone on a a tunnel boring machine wastewater project, and that started my uh, career in tunnelling. Um, So it began there, and then I worked for London Underground um, on the tunnels there for a number of years, and then with the big contractor, uh, Balfabeti. I moved to Australia in um, 2005 and I've been really lucky to have worked on a number of um, tunnelling and mining um, projects. I think the multidisciplinary scope that I get involved in, having that great background with the great foundation um, from Camborne, I get involved in a number of projects in both infrastructure and mining across a number of disciplines, so not just um, uh, civil engineering or not just concrete or lining design like I get involved in the mechanical systems ventilation systems fire life safety um, so it's it's really good and I think that's that's what keeps me where I am now um, in those projects so it's it's really good um, one thing I guess um, tunneling and mining particularly um, in Australia you don't always have a project in your home city so my home cities um Brisbane, but I've been extremely lucky that I've been able to what we call in Australia FIFO. So fly in and out of some of the best mining and infrastructure projects uh, in Australia. So I've been involved with um, the Oz Minerals Carapatina project, um, BHP Olympic Dam, um, a lot of the big tunnels, uh, West Connects in New South Wales, Sydney Metro, Melbourne Metro. And as you said at the beginning, I'm now um, on the Inland Rail project. Um, so it's pretty fortunate, had a good, had a good time and a, a lot of exciting projects.
0: Yeah, certainly. Thanks a lot for giving, you, uh, giving us an overview of, uh, of your background and career. Um, wondering if you can just give us now an overview of your current role with Inland Rail. Um, and then I've got some other questions, probably more related to, to mining as well. Okay. Thanks.
1: My um, current role is design manager um, for the Australian Rail Track Corporation. So that's the uh, Rail Track uh, operator. And um, I'm currently involved, as you said, in the Inland Rail project, which is a public uh, private partnership. Uh, We're about to construct uh, 1,700 kilometres of fast freight rail link, which will connect The east coast of Australia, so that's Brisbane to Melbourne via regional Victoria, New South Wales, and Queensland. Um, So, I'm my title is the G to H Design Manager. I look after um, the section of alignment between Gary and Hillidon, which is in Queensland. Um, It's one of thirteen projects on the Inland Rail program, um, and my scope comprises twenty-eight kilometres of tunnel, um, which goes through Toowoomba, which is quite a mountainous. range out of the west of brisbane um, there's a 6.2 kilometer tunnel um, through the toowoomba range and a 13 bridge and viaduct structures which are also about the, over the 6.5 kilometer length so um yeah it's a big scope and the completed project capabilities will allow um double stack container trains which will be up to um 1800 meters long so that's um a large volume of freight, the equivalent of 110 large trucks. So that's <laughs> pretty, pretty significant big. amount of freight, pretty big,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned you went to the Campbell School Mines, which obviously is renowned for for mining. What made you sort of go divert into the tunneling route rather than maybe mining or geology? Was there was there something that happened that made you go down that route? Was it co- coincident that you went down there or was it something um, you aimed for?
1: I think it was more coincidence. I think um, there's a lot of things that apply across uh, the two disciplines. You know, they're, they're quite similar and some of the skills are interchangeable. Um, I think I've just been fortunate that there's been big tunnelling projects around. I I call them these mega projects, and um, yeah, I seem to. I've done a lot of different roles, like I I said at the beginning, and been been involved in um, quite a bit of different scope. Um, Yeah, it's opportunistic, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but like you said, obviously, tunnelling projects, whatever project you're involved in, are are mega anyway. So. what are the main differences or similarities between sort of tunneling and mining um from your experience and how 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 would you say some of those actually combine whether it's whether it's people's certain skill sets or the way they they go about approach a project um yeah just wondering if you can share some um, differences or similarities
1: yeah i think um There's a lot of commonalities um, that do apply. Um, I think the main difference in mining, um, particularly in um, construction of, say, mine declines and ventilation addits and and is that um, the things the mining design um, is temporary, or or what civil engineers would class temporary, the design life is is really sort of around the 25-year mark. Whereas civil um, infrastructure designs are typically 100 years um, or even greater, like there's some specs coming out now with 120-year um, design life. So that's that's very very different. Um, I think as well, mines, mine production or mine development um, is often, particularly in Australia, in semi-rural sort of outback areas um, where there's not much existing infrastructure around. Um, Whereas tunnels, particularly road and rail tunnels, infrastructure tunnels, um, they're usually developed for the movement of people or goods. Um, so they're generally um, being constructed into cities which already have existing infrastructure. So already sort of congested underground with cable tunnels or services, sewer tunnels, or even other road and rail tunnels. Um, so that is that is a big difference. Um, and I think um, also... Um, the contracts are different, like the contractual and financial models, civil engineering, tunnelling projects, um, Inland rails, are a prime example. They're public-private partnership um, projects where, um, particularly um, in Australia, um, I think the um, contracts are more sort of production-based contracts um, and they have like a scheduler rates payment. Um, so it's just a, 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 different, a different model there.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a lot of tunnelling in underground mining. Um, if you're looking at logistics, moving a commodity or mineral across, I suppose, a large distance or a large area, what, what would you say a company or a particular project that, or someone that's actually managing that project why would they determine to put a tunnel in what are the reasons why they would put a tunnel in obviously there's certain obvious issues if it was going over water i suppose um obviously i'm not technical so i'm just trying to i suppose i'm trying to get an understanding of things that people may not know why would you put a tunnel in um if you're between two point a and point b what are the reasons why someone would think about putting a tunnel in apart from the obvious
1: um, I think if you're talking about using sort of what we call mechanised tunnel, so that's more like the big tunnel boring machines as, a part, as opposed to um, more traditional mining methods such as, as drill and blast, um, it's a lot faster. You can get down um, deeper and quicker. Um, it's easier to ventilate the drives. You have a lot less temporary works. You. Yeah, you don't have sort of temporary propping. You don't don't have as much um, temporary work structures. And um, tunnel boring machines can operate continuously. And if, if you can get a good production rate, you can get 24-7 um, operations, which is, you know, really good for program. Um, and I think also compared to drill and blast, um, because you're putting your lining in straight behind your tunnel boring machine, you get a lot less rock damage and overbreak, so it's it's really good from that perspective as well.
0: Yeah, and, and, and obviously that's from the mining perspective. What about from a logistical um, – obviously you're working across uh, from a point A to point B, and I suppose if I'm thinking about other um, other countries around the world – Maybe third world countries that need to implement new infrastructure, what are the reasons behind why they may put a tunnel in as opposed to not putting a tunnel in what are considerations a project director wow.
1: would be? stakeholders um, I know that um, you know putting putting roads in and doing um, a lot of ac- acquisitions of of properties and um, disrupting existing road and rail networks can be um, reputationally bad um, for tunnelling contractors and also quite disruptive to stakeholders. And I think more and more um, the community gets very sensitive to tunnelling projects um, or any kind of construction projects. I think when you close a road or when someone's got an excavator, whether it's a road tunnel or a water tunnel, um, disruption is, is always sort of hard. Um, and like I said, I think earlier, there's a, there's not much room now to construct, um, you know, five-lane, three-lane, four-lane, five-lane roads. Um, in Sydney, they've been building um, a connection, the West Connects tunnels, and those are up to four four lanes. And it's a great way of putting in a four-lane highway without sort of, you know, ripping out people's houses or going next to local schools or, um, yeah, extending more already congested roads.
0: Yeah, so I suppose it's easy accessibility if you're going from point A to point B without the least disruption. Like you said, over going over particular land, you can probably have a tunnel. Um, if it has to go through houses, for instance, uh, a particular line. Yeah. Um, it's just making minimal disruption on minimal land. Disruption. Yeah, I understand. Yeah.
1: But like you said, you can also do crossings of water, like Sydney Metro has crossed from Barangaroo to Boos- Blues Point to get under the Sydney Harbour. The Cross River Rail tunnel um, that's currently being constructed in Brisbane is one of two tunnels that, goes, that will go under the Brisbane River. Um, cross Rail in London and the Jubilee Line in London has got a number of sections that, Make crossing the Thames really efficient. Yeah. Um, so it is good for that.
0: Yeah. So, what has, what do you think tunnelling has learned from the mining industry from your point of view?
1: Uh, oh, goodness. There's a lot of good things I think that have been adopted um, by the tunnelling industry from mining, but particularly here in, in Australia, I think. Um, the instrumentation and monitoring and geological mapping that's been used um, in mining has been implemented in tunneling not not in exactly the same form um, but has been used and adapted to support what um, in tunneling it's known as the observational method or observational approach and a good thing i think that i've seen come out of that is the use of trigger action response plans um, so the mining industry's is good at setting up their instrumentation and monitoring and when they get alert or alarm levels, um, having uh, responding to those and having a set of pre-prescribed um, actions that they take in the event of, um, you know, monitoring alarms uh, going off um, and the tunnelling industry has adapted that and used that um, to engage with a number of stakeholders. So. Um, where we are tunneling over maybe heri- over under maybe heritage buildings or um, sensitive stakeholders areas that are subject to um, settlement, these trigger action response plans have been used for stakeholder engagement and community engagement to um, use like a risk based approach to to give comfort to the community that tunneling is safe and should anything happen, you know, people have visions of. Um, big tunnel boring machines going through, and then uh, crater-sized sinkholes um, turning up in their garden. Um, so these tools have been used to sort of overcome that um, bad news story and 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 risk and cover that risk. So that that's a good thing that um yeah that tunneling is learnt from mining.
0: Yeah. Um. Around technologies, what technologies and innovation do? I suppose, mining and tunnelling have in common, um, and what can each industry learn from one another?
1: Uh, I think a good thing or a more recent thing that both um, industries are um, using more and more is sort of s- spatial data visualisation. So the use of LiDAR data um, from like satellite surveys, drone surveys, and geographical information systems, GIS systems, um, they're a really good integral tool, um, mining's using them a lot more um, to sort of solve issues around location and accessibility and, and um, getting to all bodies in a sort of more direct and safer way um, and tunnelling are using them as well, um, more for monitoring and stakeholder engagement a bit similar to what I spoke about before, but also um, being able to put some of this imagery on the web. And so when tunnelling projects are progressing, um, GIS systems are able to be accessed on the website of projects. Cross River has got one in Brisbane and you can log on, anyone can log on, any member of the public, and you can see where the tunnel boring machines are at a, you know, in real time. And so, if you do believe you're asleep at night and you can hear the big rock chomping monster underneath your property, you can see if it's there or it's twenty k's or twenty miles down the road. Um, so that's been a really good, a really good tool. Um, so that that's good, and I think both industries are, are, are using that um, autonomous vehicles and drivers. Um, mining's really sort of taking the lead in that compared to tunnelling. Um, A lot of mines now are using autonomous vehicles, not just for the movement of um, product, but also for for operations and and development. And um, modern mining drilling systems can be operated from like a single control point system where several drill rigs or bolters can be operating at, at one time and you don't necessarily have personnel Underground um, tunnelings yet to get that it's it's getting better, um, but we still seem to have quite a few um, underground activities that maybe um, if we could take on that automation, you could um, operate things from a single portal or a single place and and yeah streamline some of that, particularly okay. for what we call sequential excavation where you've got multiple headings in tunnels going on in, at one time.
0: Yeah, Also, um, you mentioned automation. What um, What improvements would you say you would like to see within underground mining and tunneling from your perspective and from what you know, how some of the underground practices have been going? Um, part, obviously, part of in, uh, it, uh, automation, is there anything, any kind of methods that you feel could be used in to improve tunneling or underground mining at all?
1: Um I think I think the use more of, of drones or on-vehicle monitoring equipment for operations and maintenance. I think I think we're getting there for survey, we're getting there for our geotechnical or, or geological surveys, we're getting there for um, with the lidar surveys and our hydrogeology contours and things like that, but um, the the use more of of drones for some of those like um, really tricky confined spaces, high access, um, difficult access areas such as ventilation addits or low point pump sumps and pl- things like that. I think I yeah like to see less people going into confined spaces and and plant rooms substations and things like that underground and the use of drones and and cameras for for inspections and maintenance activities
0: yeah so is these improvements related around risk to people yeah i think mm-hmm.
1: yeah health and health and safety and risk to people and and just taking the frequency out of people having to go into high risk areas i think if you can if you can do that autonomously that yeah it's a great improvement and because drone cameras and things are getting so good now and the computers are getting good and most people have phones and iPads, you know, you can almost have someone up on the surface having a, you know, having a look at things. That's not to say you never have to go down and if you need to do some corrective maintenance, you, you need to go there, but but maybe some of the inspections could be done, yeah, that way.
0: Hmm. So I suppose less time down underground maybe less people but less time as opposed to constantly being down there um obviously some activities not all activities
1: yeah oh yeah it's not suitable to all activities but yeah, yeah there's some activities definitely
0: um as you're involved obviously in the transportation industry um what challenges are mining companies facing around the transportation of resources around the country um or even internationally
1: um, yeah, I'm quite new in the um, heavy heavy hill freight sector. I mean, Inland Rail is the first project I've, I've done in this space, but the challenges that I think I can see currently in, um, in other countries is the ownership, operation and oversight of that um, freight logistic chain or supply chain um, is quite, is fragmented. Like there's a mixture of... Mine, mining companies, government organization, private providers, privatized railways. Um, so there's lots of there's lots of different people involved. The, ma- the mine may have a contract with the rolling stock operator and probably has a contract with the port, but doesn't have a contract with the network rail operator because they have a, a contract with um, the rolling stock operator. and so it's very difficult. You've got multiple parties involved. Um, they 've got no direct commercial arrangement and they 're all driven by different KPIs or different objectives um, and that I, I see that as quite a quite a challenge or that's that's what i 've seen since i 've become involved um, and I think to be successful as a major resources producer and exporter, you need to transport large volumes um, and so to do that is and particularly um, in Australia and Europe, you know, it's large distances, often from remote locations. So, you know, you need to do that by rail. But, um, yeah, it has a lot of challenges from what I have seen so far.
0: Yeah. Um, Being a recruiter myself, I've worked in the consultancy space in terms of um, sort of management consultancy. So maybe a solution to the problem could be, Obviously, you're adding another stakeholder to already a number of stakeholders, but it'd be one stakeholder that will set the KPIs and manage all the other stakeholders. So we're all, so you're all working from one framework. I take it maybe that's has been it done before. Um, I don't know. Okay, possibly. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. And the reason why yeah. I, I suggest that is because I've, I've recruited in that space where. Um, I was managing. I was uh, recruiting for management consultancy or an engineering consultancy that stands in the middle between maybe the client and the, the contractor that are doing doing the work, whether that's build build work or whether it's infra, uh, civil infrastructure work. Um, but obviously, mm. this would be on a larger scale and probably more stakeholders. But it'd be one centralized body that everyone feeds into that sets the parameters. Obviously. Mm. Takes a lot longer, but at least everyone will be singing from the same hymn sheet, I suppose. So that may be a suggestion. I don't know. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you think tunnelling tunnelling will become more used in the mining industry in the future? And and I Uh, suppose, obviously, in underground, yes, but.
1: I think so. I mean, there are. There are a number of mines that successfully have used um, the mechanised tunnelling. Um, Grosvenor in Australia and Stillwater, um, they're well well known for, for using uh, mechanised tunnelling machinery. Um, TBMs, are they have some restrictions that that don't make them as sort of user-friendly for mining. I mean, they're well suited for long, straight, Tunnels, so they're good for mine access tunnels and um, exploratory tunnels and ventilation tunnels. Um, but yeah, they, you can probably only have um, a 300 metre, like you need a 300 metre turn radius, which is really big. Whereas, um, you know, you see some of those mining mining declines that are quite tight and they can get as, you know, as small as a 20 metre turn radius. So, you know, there's a big difference there. Um, if you're buying a mechanized tunneling machine, um, you want to use it really for its usable life. Um, it's a big, it's a big long lead time procurement item and it takes a lot of capex to, to buy it. Um, so you'd really want to use it multiple times. Um, and maybe that's what um, puts off mining companies compared to drill and blast, because then you sort of you've bought this bit of kit. And you need to um you know you need you need to use it, but they do as I said um earlier, you know that you get a good faster advance rate um you've got good pres- precision they're good for better for ventilation, you get a good smooth tunnel profile with um less overbreak, and you don't need as much um as much support so um yeah, that's good um I think Stillwater... um they're, they use their um, TBMs to get down into their um, mine declines, like their men and materials um, declines. And um, they got it when they moved from drill and blast to mechanised tunnelling, it was about a 30% saving, capex saving on, on that. Um, so that was good. But uh, um, it also reduces workforce because you, you just have one or two TBM crews. Um so it's less workforce intensive than Drill and Blast, but I think to get that um faster advance production rate, there's a big learning curve, you know, for the mining industry to train that workforce or to bring that that workforce in. Um, so maybe that puts people off as well.
0: Not yeah. sure. <laughs> okay. Um- As a conclusion, um, just wanted to give us an overview. Um, Obviously, you're the chair of the Australian Tunneling Society. Um, So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about what the society does and and I suppose how it could potentially help mining companies as well.
1: Um, Yeah, so I'm the Queensland chair of the Australian Tunneling Society. So we have five chapters, um, WA, Um, Western Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. And then we have two um, special interest groups within the Australian Tunneling Societies. We have the Australian Shot Creek Society and then um, a more recent group, which is um, a women in tunneling group. Um, We're a technical society of Engineers Australia, but also um, a member group of the International Tunneling Association. Um, so that's good. There's various technical societies within Engineers Australia and um, obviously there's, there's a lot of international groups within the International Tunneling Association. Um, we're different to a lot of other technical societies because our members and sponsors are quite mixed, mixed in discipline. I think that's because tunneling has all the various disciplines in it. Um, but we're also, for a technical society, not just Um, engineers. We've got a real broad um, membership, um, corporate and individual um, membership and sponsorship base that represents all of industry. So, we've got suppliers, designers, consultants, contractors, academics, um, engineers, scientists. Um, So, I think that's that's good and that's good as well for the mining industry because um, a lot of, like um, we've said throughout this chat, a lot of the things um, overlap. So I think for some of the suppliers um, and smaller um, subcontractors, specialist consultants that are involved, um, it's good for their networking because it's almost one place you can go um, and they can build good networks there and and share information. Um, And I think um, for Australia, it's sort of the, the voice of industry Um, for tunnelling, and we have actually had quite a few um, mining people come to our regular um, technical sessions and one-day workshops. Um, The the team at Grosvenor, when they were looking at um, getting their tunnel boring machine, which they did, they came to a number of um, ATS courses and workshops and and, and got involved so that they could um, meet people in the industry and meet the different suppliers and 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 get involved and and that's really good so that's what we offer
0: yeah no worries um diana really appreciate your time in uh talking to us about obviously tunneling obviously a lot of the audience here are listening are from the mining industry um and there could be various people listening from very senior people down to graduates Um, If any of of our audience is thinking about it, and I suppose if it's more senior people, if they're looking at their projects and thinking um, tunneling could be an option for whatever reason, they may be faced with a particular challenge and then might want some questions answered. Um, Hopefully they'll be able to reach out to you and probably give some advice. So I just wondered how our audience can uh, sort of reach out to you um, if they've got any questions.
1: Absolutely, yep. I'm on LinkedIn, so you can check me out on LinkedIn and um, the Australian Tunneling Society website. We have all the committee are listed on there. Um, so, yeah, there's multiple ways of getting in touch and yeah, yeah. happy to no, answer it's... some tunnelling questions.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll include those in the show notes as well. So um, if anyone, if anyone's listening that has any questions that may be looking at sort of tunnelling options, depending on obviously what challenges they're facing, then I'm sure Diana can um, answer any questions or queries that you may have um, to make you obviously make you make a decision if that's the way you want to go. So um, really appreciate your time again. Um, for those that are listening, appreciate if you can share this episode uh, amongst friends, family, everyone else in the industry. Um, we want to get this podcast out to as many people as possible. Um, obviously, it's an educational tool. Um, people that are on this podcast are providing. Uh, a lot of energy uh, sorry a lot of energy a lot of content around particular specializations and um as if we can get this out to more and more people within the industry i think it will um, enhance people's um, education and understanding of the wider mining community so appreciate keep sharing and liking this if you're watching on youtube channel appreciate if you can like and share below um so it goes out to more people so more people can access this content so Diana, really appreciate your time again. Um, no problem. Great, Thanks great, for having great me. Great chatting. No worries. Great chatting to you. Um, and those are listening. Until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining. Helping each other to improve the mining industry.